The UK Investor Magazine podcast is brought to you in association with Oanda, the broker of choice for traders who want a smarter way to trade. Trade with Oanda and get one year's subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a number of UK equities, as well as the key themes out there in markets. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Morning, John. Good to be back. So, Alan, we are looking at a FTSE 100, which is is up slightly on the day, 0.2% as I look at my screen now. But this isn't really a representation of the reigniting of the banking crisis that we've seen overnight. So we're going to be talking a little bit later on in the podcast about Lloyd's. They reported this morning, so we're going to be looking at their numbers and what that means for investors. But we're going to start off with looking at the macro picture, Alan, and and this banking crisis, which which seemed to to quieten down to some extent, go away. Indeed, the head of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, did say that the banking crisis was over. However, if we're looking at the share prices of some of these regional banks over in the United States overnight, seeing drops of 20, 30%. And again, looking at the pre-market today, further downside in some of these companies. Alan, does that to you suggest that maybe there's some concerns out there about the health of not only the, the US banking system, but potentially the global financial system? I think there are still plenty of concerns ricocheting around the market, John. And of course, uh, let's not forget, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, of course, was the first in the latest uh, or or the first in in the series of uh, crises in the the latest banking crisis. Um, First Republic Bank, of course, is a similar bank and had ties with with, uh, Silicon Valley Bank as well. Uh, So that is a concern. But but again, what we're seeing is an opportunity for consolidation in the sector because while some of the banks there are suffering, and uh, of course Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic were regional banks in the USA, and if we go all the way back to the 1920s, the reason you had the Great Depression in the 20s was because you had all these regional banks dotted around the USA, no centralised banking system. So of course they went bust and they and they uh, took people's money and uh, families and towns, cities, villages were just wiped out, literally, financially. Um, Of course, that's not the same nowadays because uh, the crisis is headed off at the pass, if you excuse the analogy with the Wild West, um, headed off off at the pass uh, before it happens. Um, And in the case of First Republic, of course, we saw uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, JP Morgan right to the rescue. And, uh, you know, JP Morgan are a hugely strong financial institution. I think if we saw problems uh, with that business, then we would have a major crisis. And I, I think what's concerned me more than anything is the the fact that, uh, of course, Credit Suisse uh, um, were taken over by UBS. And uh, that when a bank of that size gets into trouble, then I think uh, 
I think um, the market should be rightly concerned. But um, uh, we saw falls yesterday. We're seeing falls in banking stocks this morning. And obviously, there are concerns around that. But um, I think probably those concerns are a little overblown. It's a natural, it, it, it's an understandable reaction to to uh, to to the crisis and to the latest news this week. And of course, if there are further banks that um, that, uh, that 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 uh, um, report uh, issues and problems, then this could drag on. But uh, I think by and large. A lot was learnt during the credit crunch of 2007. The central banking system and the major banks, uh, it's an opportunity for them to consolidate and snap up assets really at a knockdown price. So in a sense, the banking sector as a result of these actions is becoming leaner and meaner, which uh, which has to be a good thing. And and I think, you know, when we're looking at our banks and obviously, you know, we're going to come on to some of our domestic banks in a minute. But I think when we look at our banks, you know, in the UK, um, they're in pretty good shape. And uh, certainly the numbers from Lloyd's today uh, do uh, reflect that. Yes. And, and, and Lloyd's, of course, Alan follows we've had HSBC this week. We had NatWest uh, last week and, of course, Barclays and, and Standard Chartered all reasonably in good shape. Uh, there's slight weakness in deposits at NatWest, but um, some strength that we saw in Standard Chartered and, and Barclays. And indeed, you mentioned there, Alan, these larger banks taking on the assets of some of these failed banks, the, the, the failed regional US banks. Looking at HSBC's numbers earlier on this week, I mean, they recorded a pretty much instant 1.5 billion profits. Uh, you know, they saw their overall profits triple yeah. uh, in the last quarter. And a big element of that was a 1.5 billion increase in profitability on the acquisition of SVB UK. So, of yeah. course, there's a, there's a failed bank there. But these bigger banks, which have high levels of liquidity, they have the capital on hand to take advantage of such situations. The UK government have claimed that they brokered the the uh, the agreement, which I'm, which I'm sure they had some involvement. But, you know, this was a real opportunity that I think HSBC saw mm-hmm. there. And that's, that's led to uh, a big jump in, in their profits by taking advantage of that. So mm-hmm. I think there is... You know, big differences with the prior financial crisis back in 2008. You know, it, it does seem to be very much localised on on certain banks. Yeah. You know, that the ones that were a little bit weaker. Of course, we saw Credit Suisse being taken over. There were some concerns when looking at the CDSs of, of Deutsche Bank uh, for for a period, but that seems to have subsided. So yes, yeah, so that's sort of looking at you know how things are, are playing out out there. I think it's 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 a good place to be in these in these larger banks at the moment. There might be some short term volatility, but we're going to go into Lloyd's now and, and look at the underlying earnings of these companies, and they're actually doing quite well. So let let's do that actually, mm. Alan, and, and look at Lloyd's. I had their Q one results out this morning, an environment of higher interest rates compared to the same period last year. Um, what's their numbers look like? Well, they're very good, actually, and I think I think that's the underlying picture. You know, we, as you as you as you rightly said, you know, we're seeing these these issues with certain banks exposed to certain areas, um, and those banks uh, those banks uh, th- th- there's there's a plan in place, and I think uh, 
I think because because since the credit crunch, they have to the the, the central banking system keeps such a tight rein on on bank activities and actions and levels of reporting uh, the the uh, the the tier one capital requirements that these banks are required to have, to have now their reporting is is very is very detailed so at any one stage they'll have a very the uh, central banks and the government and the chancellor will have a very clear picture of what's happening so of course they can respond quickly so a crisis becomes a storm in a teacup in a matter of hours and that's what's happened so far and certainly if we look at this these numbers from lloyds you've got net income up 15 percent on the prior year 4.7 billion large of course um the higher interest rates are driving earnings too for banks so that's a good thing because they are able to replenish their books in that regard um not so good of course if you're borrowing from the banks because you're paying a higher interest rate back but that's the way it goes um and of course uh, the the what we I think what is also telling too is the number of customers with overdue payments is lower than pre-pandemic levels, um, and of course uh, the impairment charges banks have historically taken in preparation for default. Um, in Lloyd's case, it was much lower than analysts were expecting. So Lloyd set aside two hundred forty-three million in impairment uh, expect uh, in, in impairment expectations. Um, analysts were expecting they'd had to put aside. 356 million you know which in terms of what the bank turns over overall isn't a huge amount but that is a significant sign that um both lending borrowing are very much under control and the the, the banks are are in are in good shape um obviously lloyd's itself is a particular particularly good barometer for the health of the uk market and the consumer and smaller businesses and i think what this proves is that UK PLC is proving remarkably resilient in the face of these mounting cost pressures. So, um, so yeah, of course, that's a it, it, it's a reflective statement. Really, it looks back over the the past the past few months, the first quarter. How the second quarter will pan out, we've yet to see. But um, if it's anything like the first quarter, I think we can take a lot of encouragement from that. Um, and it shows that UK PLC is very much standing on, on its own two feet. And probably looking at these numbers, I think any dip in the Lloyd share price, such as this morning, where they dropped from 47, uh, well, 47.5p down to 46p, in fact, just under, they dipped under briefly, come back above now, um, should be taken as an opportunity to, to, to snap up the shares and, and buy more. Yes, I mean, certainly looking at Lloyd's, they're, they're selling has picked up since we've uh, started recording this this podcast. And I think that's probably got something to do with the issues that we discussed there uh, earlier on in the podcast about the happenings in the United States. So just sort of looking at some of these regional banks there, they're, they're quite heavily in the red uh, as we speak uh, recording this podcast. And I think that, you know, th- those big drops that we see there does does cause ripples throughout the the system. But Alan, just just staying on these banks at the moment, and you made a reference there to how Lloyd's, to some extent, represents the underlying health of the UK economy. You know, these are good numbers that that we've seen. And we had quite a good set of numbers out from the the fourth quarter, not just for Lloyd's, but for for some of the other UK banks as well. Do, Do you think that this is really just a macro picture at the moment, that people are looking at these companies and saying, yes, you're you're enjoying 
higher interest rates and your profits are, are higher, which is great. But when we're, we're looking forward to the rest of the year, there may still be some economic downturn, not just here in the UK, but, but also in the United States and to some extent Europe as well. And do you think people are just holding off and just waiting to see any downturn that, that, that comes? And then I think the key thing here is looking at what central banks are going to be doing. We've got the Federal Reserve yeah. later on this evening, um, expected to rate so to increase rates by 0.25%. Do you think this is just a, a picture that people are looking at and thinking, we're probably going to see some downside in markets. Um, sorry, we're going to see some downside in the economy. That may lead to some downside in uh, in markets. And at that point then, we're going to see the central banks halt their rate increases and switch to rate cuts and start to ease monetary policy. Do you think it's a case that people are just sitting on their hands conserving their cash and just waiting for that to happen as soon as they start to to cut rates things get a little bit easier do you think that's the point then people start to to, to step back in and start looking at the fundamentals of companies not just uh lloyds and, and and the uk banks but the wider markets yeah very much so john and of course we're coming up to the traditional go away in may uh come back on St. Ledger's day um uh, a time in a time of the year at the moment and um i think uh, given the relatively flat markets and uncertainty, we'll find a lot of money taken off the table uh, 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 as a result of that. But there are always opportunities around. There will always be opportunities. Um, and I think, I think yes, because of the uncertainty, a lot of uh, investors will be looking at this and, uh, and taking, taking those factors into account and maybe thinking, thinking, well, I'll come back later in the year and revisit this. But of course, let's not forget, you know, these, these banks are are some of them are paying dividends again now um so so there there is great growth opportunity and i think one of the best ways to gain exposure to uk plc um certainly the, the financials of uk plc is is through lord shares because uh, it looks after uh, it looks after so many so many uh, um, uh, UK UK sort of small businesses and uh, and and entrepreneurs. So it, it's an important place to be. But um, another factor in their results that uh, worth noting: the net interest margin (NIM). So that's a measure of profitability uh, in regard to their borrowing and lending. Um, also rose up from two point six percent to three point two percent in the first quarter. Um, so that's that's interesting. Although it was flat compared to Q four last year um and of course if the interest rates are going to rise again one might expect that uh, that nim number will rise again slightly during the second quarter so um yeah these are factors and of course the the bank of england along with the federal reserve uh, will be looking at these numbers very carefully and uh, and and uh, uh, yeah any interest rate rises uh, which i think are inevitable we're going to get those further rises they have been promised by the bank of england but uh, I think and hope we're coming toward the end of that cycle now. And uh, yeah, at the point um, the banks start to drop interest rates again, that will be that will be a great day. Yes, it's quite interesting there when you mentioned that the net interest margins, because in, in the last quarter, the first quarter, it's 3.22%. Mm. And as you say, if they do hike rates again, you could expect that to to tick up slightly in the, in the second quarter. But looking out for the rest of this year, in Lloyd's outlook, they actually 
said that they expect net interest margin net interest margins for the whole year to be in excess of 3.05%, which would be a, a lower rate than they recorded in the first quarter. So I think that there's an element there of, of Lloyd's pricing in towards the end of this year, lower interest rates than we have at, at the moment, because you wouldn't expect them to to say it's going to be above that level of uh, 3.05% if they're currently at 3.22%, if they saw interest rates staying the same or going higher. So they themselves as a bank uh, are thinking, right, okay, we may see some interest rate increases in the very near term, but really at the at the end of this year, it looks as though we're going to have lower rates. And mm. I think that may be... a uh, some of the reason that we're seeing a bit of weakness in Lloyd's shares uh, today, because that's a key measure of profitability. And if, if we start to see net interest margins fall at the end of this year, it simply means that they're not going to be making as much profit um, on their core business as they did in the in the first quarter. So that's going to be an interesting update on the podcast when we get the Q2 figures that come in, Alan. Indeed, indeed. Just a final note on that too, John. I think um, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the actual net income falls because they they, they 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 say they're seeing headwinds in mortgages so of course they're not lending as much they're getting good margin on on the money they are lending but if they're unable to lend as much then we might see that income fall a bit uh, although the the uh, the net interest margin may stay over three percent if those numbers start to fall that could well also partly explain you know if if investors and analysts are expecting to see a fall in overall sales as well because of the uh, because, because of the crisis and the high interest rate environment then, then then that could also be a factor indeed indeed and as i said it's going to be an interesting story to pick up later in the year when we see the next updates from the uk bank so moving on now alan there's a company uh, which has come across your your radar i believe i think it's one you've been watching for some time but just looking here at the share price in the last week or so, it's really come to life. It's URA Holdings. Mm. What's been happening there? Okay, uh, URA Holdings, Epic Code, U-R-A-H. Um, this is a company that uh, that has come uh, back to market. It was, uh, it was a cash shell um, a, a few years ago, and uh, it's come back, but it's come back with with, with a great uh, investment proposition, number one, and also number two, um, a very strong, well-qualified board. The company uh, chairman and chief executive, uh, the chairman is Ed Nealon, and Ed Nealon is an interest, industry veteran. He's also chairman at um, Lexington Gold. Of course, he's spoken about Lexington Gold. They have a number of key gold mining assets in South Carolina. They're progressing very well, and they're, you know, the, they're, 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 they're generating uh, resource uh, um, uh, numbers from the assets they had there in South Carolina. Um, and also, uh, Ed works along with Chief Executive Bernard Olivier, who uh, is also there at Lexington Gold. So the same management team have joined uh, uh, URA Holdings. And what they've done, they have acquired uh, an emerald mine in in uh, Limpopo in South Africa. Now, this was... Uh, the the the, uh, the the gravelot uh, emerald mine is uh, mine it has a, an awful lot of history. It was producing from 1929 through to 2002, and of course, many mines have running costs. They have infrastructure, and of course, 
provided the the asset that's being mined or the commodity that's being mined is selling uh, for a good cost per ton, or in this case carrots, then uh, um, then of course uh, then of course uh, it's profitable and it uh, means the mine can continue. Um, if the bottom falls out of that commodity or uh, asset for whatever reason, then of course uh, overnight, not overnight, but uh, certainly very quickly, the mine can become uneconomical, un- and that's why we see a lot of mines around the world uh, mothballed. Uh, still with the assets underground, still with the infrastructure in place, but simply not working. And this is what uh, Bernard Olivier and uh, Ed Nealon have done with Lexington. They've gone to existing mines, uh, uh, existing infrastructure, uh, worked at it, used modern data analysis methods to analyse what's under the ground there and bring it back to life. And they're, they're very successful and and and, uh, and they've, they've already achieved an awful lot. And uh, you look at the Lexington share price. I am a holder, by the way. I'm also a holder in URA Holdings too. Um, uh, but you look at what they've done with the share price there and you'll, you'll see why. So Gravelot, as I say, operating to 2002, um, they acquired or URA Holdings acquired for £100,000 in shares um, uh, and and, uh, um, and also uh, 100, an additional £123,000 um, agreed for every 5 million carats of emeralds produced. So they bought the mine outright. They've, they own the mine um, and uh, it's owned via a, a, a local uh, holding company called uh, um, Gem Venus um, and they hold all the mineral rights uh, in regard to the uh, mining and extraction at the Gravelot mine. Um, so so they have the infrastructure there uh, to get the mine uh, back and running again and, um, and uh, producing. The reason they've done that is that uh, the emerald market is really in an upswing at the moment. Um, in the, in, in the, uh, in the uh, years before the pandemic, they were a steadily growing segment, but we're now seeing with the uh, some of the wealth that's been created in certain areas, uh, particularly in blockchain, all the rest of it, a lot of people are looking to swap their virtual holdings for something that's tangible that, uh, that they can physically hold. So a lot of young buyers are coming to market to buy jewellery, uh, to buy stones, to buy precious metals, and so on. And it's very much viewed like gold as a safe haven, uh, safe haven uh, investment. Uh, so, of course, diamonds... Uh, Diamonds are very much uh, front and centre for precious stones, but the big three really are emeralds, rubies, and, and sapphires, alongside diamonds. Um, and some di- some emeralds have sold for huge amounts of money in in in, in very recent years. So that's the rationale behind uh, the project. Um, also, uh, also as part of URA, there is a company called Malika Exploration that uh, has uh, exploration licences in. Northeast Zambia, and the, this uh, these these uh, license areas cover prospects that are prospective for high-grade graphite, uh, niobium, tantalum, and rare earth elements. So we we've not heard much about that yet. It's all been front and center about the the gravelot mine. But as you uh, pointed out, John, you know the shares are very uh, have been uh, really really come to life over the past few weeks and. I believe, you know, because of course the uh, the acquisition has been announced. Uh, the the company has put out its final results recently, um, but it's all about the 
the, the duo that's in there running the business. And people have seen what Ed Nealon and, uh, and, um, and Bernard Olivier have done with Lexington Gold. And they're taking their expertise in bringing uh, dormant mines back to life. And they've applied this to gravel art. And I think we're set for a very exciting future. I mean, the shares have, the shares were trading at, uh, at uh, around one half P at the end of last month. They've now been as high as 2.7p, currently at 2.5p, and that gives the company a market capitalization of just 3.6 million. Which I think, uh, if you compare that to what to the the value of the uh, gravel lot mine, the assets there, and everything else, I think that's a, a paltry sum. And I expect to see this stock go much higher in the next few weeks. Thank you, Alan. Certainly one for people to keep an eye on. So we're going to move on now, Alan, to the last stock that we're going to discuss today. It's Seed Capital Solutions, uh, a newly listed vehicle which is focusing on the ESG space, Alan. It is indeed. And John, I know we were, we were talking before we came on air about ESG, environmental, social and corporate governance. Uh, um, you know, this is a huge part of company operations nowadays. And I think uh, it, it's... Uh, it's key to the future of business. Frankly, it's it's a huge, uh, a hugely important area. And I know you've been working with some funds that uh, that uh, have set up ESG funds. And this is an absolutely huge area. It's uh, um, I mean, ESG, you know, is a framework designed to be embedded into an organisation strategy that considers way in which to generate value for organisational shareholders, um, and of course. Uh, uh, address the company's responsibilities both to its employees, the world in which it works, and the environment in, in which it works. Um, and that's it's a fairly nebulous subject, isn't it? But uh, but actually distilling that down, um, it, it, it's it, it's 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 basically the the structure by which we live and by which corporations will live and operate uh, in the future. So um, C Capital Solutions PLC, the epigode is S. CSP um, was one of the last uh, standard list companies to come to market uh, prior to the 30 million market cap uh, uh, benchmark that was introduced uh, introduced um, at the end of uh, at the end of 2021. So this company has uh, has taken a long time to come to market, but um, it floated a few weeks ago. Um, the uh, the team behind it, uh, you have Damien Grief, who's a long-standing chairman and uh, uh, a director on a number of aim-listed companies over the past 10 to 15 years. You can see Damien's profile on the C Capital Solutions PLC website. Um, and uh, and and uh, and the, uh, when the company came to market, uh, the, the the company uh, uh, explained the rationale behind. What they're doing. I, I mentioned just now, John. Of course, the um, uh, the the number of funds investing into ESG. Well, Price Waterhouse Cooper produced a market report in October last year, which is worth reading. And in fact, that was included on the first Seed Capital Solutions uh, uh, announcement. That was basically the admission of shares to Standard List. So you go to that uh, announcement, you can actually see that link there. Um, and I'll quote what Damien says, the importance of ESG operating practices now front and center, center in the operating manuals for every business and industry sector. The market opportunities are huge. 
with a projected compound annual growth rate, CAGR, of 12.9%. ESG-focused institutional investment is expected to grow by 84% to $33.9 trillion by 2026, making up 21.5% of all, all assets under management. So you don't get much bigger than that. I mean, that's absolutely huge. And what C Capital has been set up to do, quite simply, is to identify opportunities in that market and invest into those companies and opportunities and share and participate in that growth. Um, to do that, yesterday they uh, they appointed a new chief executive, um, 52-year-old uh, gentleman called John Zorbas, who's has uh, well over 15 years of experience in global equity markets in an executive role. And he's also himself a very experienced investor into ESG opportunities. So they're going to use John's experience and understanding of that sector to help them identify acquisition targets um, and uh, investment opportunities within the sector. Just a, just um, some background on John. He's chief executive of URU Metals. That's AIM listed. URU is the epic code. Um, also a non-exec director at Zeb Nickel Corporation and PowerTap Hydrogen Capital Corporation. So John has now taken up his role as chief exec. And the shares really are unmoved. They're trading at 0.875 of a P. Um, there's a spread on that, of course, but uh, that gives it a market capitalization of 1.6 million. So if you were looking to invest into the sector, this company is going to be investing into a broad cross-section of ESG uh, um, opportunities. So it will be a good way you can get in right now at the shop floor um, and uh, and start your investment journey with Seed Capital. So Alan, when they're looking at investments, is there any indication as to you know the, the types of investments that they're going to be looking at? Because of course, with ESG, as you said, it's quite a broad subject. You know, is this something you're going to be looking at the environmental issues? Are they going to be looking at uh, businesses that are uh, moving towards and helping the world move towards the net zero targets? Or, or are they going to be looking at companies that, that are looking at helping the society and helping governance with diversity and, and inclusivity? Well, well the, the, the website um, at the moment, ccapitalsolutionsplc.com, is fairly general in that regard. So, so they, they've not put out a specific strategy yet. That will be evolving, and I believe we'll be seeing uh, the management team talk to talk to uh, the markets in the coming weeks about those opportunities and the opportunities that they see. So, uh, in answer to your question, John, no, there's nothing out there yet. But as I've already said, it is a nebulous subject, and uh, uh, I'm sure they'll be looking at every aspect uh, of of ESG investment opportunities. But also, you know, knowing Damon and John. Well, I, I don't know John so well, but I, I know. Damien very well, they will be looking to get in into investment opportunities very early in the cycle so they can uh, take full advantage and the company and shareholders can participate in any growth going forward. Yes, certainly one to, to keep an eye on. So just a, a recap of the, the companies we discussed today. Uh, first up with Lloyd's, uh, and of course, with a ticker of LLOY. It was then URA Holdings, which has a ticker of URAH. And we finished off then with newly listed Seed Capital Solutions, which has a ticker of SCSP. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as a, a note to listeners, we had a 
UK Investor Magazine virtual conference last week and the videos from those presentations are now available on the UK Investor Magazine website in the video section. So please do check those out. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. This podcast was presented by Oanda, Trading View's most popular broker. Trade with Oanda and get one year subscription to Trading View Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.